Galatians 3, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing by the Holy Spirit. He says, oh foolish Galatians. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should know that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now go to verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word. I thank you for every bit of it. And I pray, Lord, to open up our hearts, Lord, many distractions, many voices, a thousand voices competing for our mind, Lord, but we want you and we want you now. Please come in. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we left off in chapter 3 of Galatians over two months ago, and that is really unusual for Calvary Chapel in the city. I have never come even anything close to being that far away on a Sunday morning, uh, but I was traveling, I was sick, I was a number of different things, and we've been away for for two months. And so I just want to begin by talking about the subject of Galatians. Galatians is about the grace of God. I'm going to talk about that, and then we'll get to our verses. The grace of God. My prayer for every one of you in this room is that the grace of God will become the very breath that you breathe, your very breath, day in and day out, the grace of God. The grace of God, what is it? Grace means gift. 
as opposed to something that you earn. You don't earn a gift. Grace is a gift as opposed to something you deserve. You don't deserve a gift. It may be given to you. Grace means a gift. The working definition that we have come up with here at Calvary Chapel in the city is this. Grace is when you deserve a punishment, listen to me, when you deserve a punishment and you get a reward. So remember, about six weeks ago, Pastor Freddie talking in Luke 15 about the parable of the two sons. There is a son who is the son of a wealthy father. He goes to his father and he says, hey, father, can I have all my money, my inheritance before I die, like right now? The father represents God. The son represents you and me. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance, all that money, that cash I was going to get when you die, I want it now. And the father says, okay, and he gives all of it to him right there. He dumps a whole boatload, truckload of, of cash on him, and he immediately takes off. He leaves his home. It says that he wasted all the money, and in the context in a very short time in wasteful living, on prostitutes, on uh, uh, drunkenness, on just wild living and paying for everyone else's beer and whiskey and blunt. That's what he was doing. And it was all disappeared, all the cash. And he was, says he was looking at pigs and what they ate, just wishing he could eat what the pigs were um, eating. And then all of a sudden it dawned on him, what am I doing there? I'm going to go back to my father. And so um, he, he, he said, I'll just, I'll go back and I'll be one of his hired servants. He's not going to accept me as a son again, obviously. And so he goes back to his father. His, the Bible says in Luke 15, this is Jesus speaking. It says the father, representing God, saw him a far way off, ran out to him, put his arms on him, kissed him all over the neck, um, um, came in, told his servants, put a ring on his finger, the best robe on his body, put sandals on his feet, Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a big barbecue of music and dancing, it says. He deserved a punishment, but he got a reward. It's not something that we're used to in this world. We live in a graceless world. We grow up in an environment, even in our home, that is graceless, we, 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 get, we get rewards when we do good things. When we do bad things, we get punishment, but we rarely, if ever, get a reward when we deserve to be punished. But that's what grace is. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, that's what grace is in the Bible Grace is when you deserve a punishment and you get a reward. God's grace. My prayer is that grace becomes the very breath that you breathe. You need it. 
You need that, Calvary Chapel. You need to, to, uh, for grace to become the very breath that you breathe. I will explain. The Bible says God is absolutely holy. He's perfect in holiness. He's perfect in, uh, perfectly holy in his love. Love is a part of his holiness, the Bible says. He's perfect in joy, and he's perfect in purity, meaning he's absolutely without sin. That's who the Bible says God is. That's who God says he is. One of the verses in the Bible that best defines the holiness of God is the book of Habakkuk, my, my son, the guy with the fro, who was here a few weeks ago. He taught on Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 says, God is too pure to look upon evil. God cannot look upon sin, is what the verse says. Meaning, he cannot as much as look at even a single sin without a response. A response of justice, a response of active justice. Now, what on earth does that mean? It means this. You and I, we can walk out into the food court after out into the food court after, and we can hear someone use a four-letter word, and we're so used to it, we just shrug and we move on. Impossible with the holiness of God. God is not like that. Um, um, when God hears a four-letter word, there's an immediate response of justice, any sin, and you say, well, Last week, I used four-letter words every day, all day, and I never felt any punishment. God never responded to my four-letter words with any punishment. I had a good week, to which I say, um, oh, yeah, he did. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2, at verse 5, it says, every four-letter word you use, it says you're storing up God's wrath against you, uh, God's punishment against you, God's anger, God's justice, it adds up every time you use a four-letter word or any other sin. God is perfectly holy. He cannot look upon sin and have no reaction, no response. Impossible. He's not like you and me. God... And his holiness, God's holiness, puts man, every man and woman, in indescribably deep trouble. Because the Bible says the justice that God requires of any sin, even one, is death and hell. The payment of sin is death. Chapter Romans, verse 6. Chapter, chapter Romans, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The payment of sin is death and hell. God is so holy, he is too pure to look upon sin, any sin. Heaven is so perfectly holy, so perfectly wonderful. There's no sin there. If there was, it would cease to be heaven. So, man, no, so no man, no woman can enter with any sin 
even one on their record, God is too pure to look upon sin. That's who he is. That's who God is. Even one sin, any sin, will keep you out of heaven. Now, if the truth be told, you got a lot more than one. But God is so holy. One sin, any sin, keeps you out of heaven and will cast you into hell. God is that pure. His justice is that perfect. God is too pure to look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13. But God is love. God is love. And he loves you with a holy love. A perfect love. A love that is at the same time perfectly gentle and perfectly faithful and perfectly intense. God is love. The Bible says that God loves you with an eternal love that's an unfailing love, a love that's always perfectly faithful. So perfectly faithful and unfailing is, so perfectly faithful and unfailing is God's love for you that he would rather send his son to take on all his wrath, all his anger, all that punishment for your sin than for you to be suffering wrath or anger or punishment. He sent his son to the cross to be crucified, to suffer his wrath, to suffer his anger, to suffer his punishment so that you would not have to suffer so that you would suffer none of it, none of it, not even a little bit, none. That is God's indescribable grace. That is God's indescribable gift. You don't pay for gifts. You simply receive them when they're offered to you. And so the Bible says that God so intensely and perfectly loves you that he has offered you a gift, the gift of his son Jesus' life, the gift of Jesus' death on the cross, the gift of his resurrection, and you don't pay for the gift. You simply receive the gift. The Bible puts it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 like this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, and that means you give him all control over the life, over your life, and you say, come in, Jesus. It says you're saved. You're saved from his wrath. You get the gift. It is free. There's nothing you can do. You are saved from God's wrath, saved from his anger, saved from his punishment. And instead of his wrath, his anger, his punishment, he will put a ring on your finger. He will put the best robe on your body. He will put sandals on your feet and he will kill the fatted calf and have a party of music and dancing for you. You will experience that in this life. And so um, that is the grace of God. And my prayer for every one of you in this room is that the grace of God 
becomes the very breath that you breathe. Now, last week I taught from 1 Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 9. In 1 Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 9, we learn three things are required of every human being. Anyone want to remind us what they were? Three things. Shout them out. Number one. Number two. Number three. So, know God, serve God, and seek God. God told his son Solomon, you do these three things, Solomon, and you will prosper with God in life. First, number one, know God. First Chronicles 28.9. Number two, serve God. And number three, seek God. Many Christians get to know God. They serve God, but over time they stop seeking God and their life crumbles And pastors like me wind up picking them off the ground, their crumbled life off the ground, because they stopped seeking God. Solomon knew God, he served God, but over time he started seeking God. We don't know if we'll see Solomon in heaven. He was sacrificing his own children at the end of his life. You you can do the same. Don't put yourself above that. You stop seeking God, you're perfectly capable of that. If, If you think you're not capable of that, you are terribly deceived. Stopping seeking God brings awful consequences. Seeking God brings life and joy and peace and rest, I can tell you, with firsthand knowledge. So what is seeking God? We talked about it. It's opening up your heart to God every day. Psalm 27.4 says this, This one thing I seek This one thing I desire, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple every day, Psalm 27, 4. And, and so um, it, it's opening up your heart to God and, and pouring out whatever is in there. That's what seeking God is. Opening up your heart to God and pouring out whatever in there, whether it's gratitude and thanksgiving or whether it's desperation or whether it's anything in between. That's what seeking God is. But I tell you, Calvary Chapel, the grace of God has become my life breath Because I seek the Lord, and I seek him every day, and I've come to know over time that I desperately need the grace of God. Because the more I seek God, the more I grow as a Christian, the more I'm aware of my own sin the more I'm aware of my own sin, and the more I become aware of my own sin, the more painful it is to me. The more I seek God, the more I grow as a Christian, the more I become aware of my own sin, and the more painful it is to me, and I find myself crying out to grace. And the grace is replaced by rest, joy, peace, and life. But, but I got to tell you, it goes something like this. You just take, when you're opening up your heart to God every day, when you're just opening it up, you open up your heart to God, 
Here's my heart, Lord. Search me, examine me, see if there's anything in me that you don't like, any wicked way within me, and lead me on the way everlasting. It says in Psalm 139. Well, here, let's just take one, one area, um, uh, the area, for example, of pride. But the, the Bible says pride is so evil that God hates it. It doesn't say that of every sin. It says he hates it. It says in 1 Peter 5, 6 and James 4, 6, it says he opposes, opposes it. You, you just take that one sin in my life. I just take that one sin. And, and what happens as I seek the Lord, as I open up my heart to him, every movement of pride gets right underneath my nose where it smells really bad. Steve, that was a really good sermon that you preached last week. Steve, that counsel that you gave that woman after church, ooh, it was really good. Steve, that, that way you prayed at, nine, prayed at 9.30 prayer, mmm, powerful. Steve, you're such a good husband. Steve, you're such a good uh, 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 brother. Steve, you're, you're, you're such a good father. God hates it, and he lets me know, and I cry out for grace. Grace has become the breath I breathe every day. And my prayer for you is the same thing. Jesus Christ. We're going to read it when we get to Galatians. Became a curse for you. So grace can be the life that you get, can be the very breath that you live. I just want to, I want to read I want to explain a little bit more how it works from reading a verse in 1 John. You don't have to turn there. First John 1 John 1.7 says this. Verse 3 says, Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, rather, verse 5 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then it says in verse 7, but if I walk in the light, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have that fellowship with each other and God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when I say, I want the grace of God to be the very breath of your life, this is, this is what I'm saying. So when, just for me, and this, this, is, this, is, my, this is my life every day. You know, Steve, that, 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 that was a really good, powerful sermon that you taught last week. Take that darkness and I bring it into the light. That's what 1 John 1, 7 says me to do. And, I, and it says the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And I go, God, 
cleanse me with the blood of Jesus. Because your word says that if I walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus will cleanse me from all sin. That was great praying, Steve. I need your blood. That was great. You're such a great dad, Steve. I need your, I, I need your blood. That was great counsel, Steve. I need your blood. That, you're a great father, Steve. I need your blood. You, you're a great friend, Steve. I, I need your blood. And I'm saying it with my breath. Grace has become the breath that I breathe. And I've just talked about pride. Never mind anger and lust and greed. Let me tell you, you start seeking God regularly in your life, all that stuff, all that gunk is going to be start just coming up. It's going to come up. It's going to go right in your face. And when it's right under your nose, oh man, does it stink bad. My prayer for you is, oh God, I need that blood. I, I, it says, have no fellowship with unfruitful work of, of darkness. Just bring that darkness to the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all sin, and we will have fellowship with God. And joy and peace and rest will be pumped into your life. That's what the Bible teaches. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians. O foolish Galatian, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Who has bewitched you? Who's put you under the spell? Under a spell? We talked about this. Um, the, the idea there is, is that the devil's involved. <laughs> and so why is he saying, you foolish Galatians? Because everything I've just explained to you in the first 20 minutes, he had told them about. He had come into this area of Galatia a number of years earlier, and he declared all this. He, 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 he declared, listen, you guys, you're under the wrath of God. Um, God is so holy, he cannot even look at sin. And every response to every sin that you do, there's wrath, there's anger. But he put that anger on Jesus Christ. And, and, and it says in Acts chapter 13, when he was speaking to these very Galatians, he says, by Jesus Christ, everyone who believes him is saved from all things that they could not do by trying to obey the law of Moses. And it says in verse 42 of Acts 13, it says, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, it says the Gentiles, meaning all the non-Jews, they begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So he comes the next Sabbath, he preaches, and it says the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And then it goes on to say, um, um, later on, it just says they were filled with gladness. It says the Gentiles, um, the Galatians, the Gentile Galatians, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. They had never heard anything like that. There, there was just such joy in their life. Um, and, and we find out why from the book of, Gal uh, of Galatia, from the book of Colossians, Colossians in the same general area, 
they had been living a life just loaded with sin the, of the worst kind. It says in Ch Colossians 3.5, it, it said they had, um, f they just lived a life of nonstop sex outside of marriage, uh, sexual uncleanness, passion. They were given over to every evil, evil desire, covetousness, meaning just wanting everything else that, that was not given to them. And, 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 and it says in verse 7 of Colossians 3, you once lived in this. And I can tell you, Calvary Chapel, when you're living a life of just unbridled, unrestrained sexual uncleanness and unrestrained covetousness, just lying and cheating and stealing, gathering however you, as much as you can, however you can. Death is going to pour into your life. Your relationships will be killed after a while. Your finances will be killed. Your health will be killed. And so imagine Paul coming in and saying, listen, there's a solution to this huge mess that you're getting into. I understand you're thinking you're under the wrath of God, the anger of God, but all that went on Jesus Christ. You believe in him and you are saved forever, eternally. The Holy Spirit will come into your life and save you. That's what he did with these Galatians. They got it. It says the whole city was glad. They came to hear him. They came to be blessed by him. And But what happened? Well, we learn from the book of Galatians, Paul left, some others came in after and said, no, 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 no. That's too easy. You can't just believe in Jesus Christ and then act as if God's not gonna punish you. And, and, and they brought in just a boatload of law. And the law was from the Old Testament. You know, this is a big, this is the Old Testament. This is a big book. This is a lot of pages. There's a lot of law here. And they started just burdening them down with the law again. And what happened? Anytime you lose the grace of God and you start living with the law, you lose, their, you lose your joy. They lost their joy. That Acts 13 gladness. Oh, yes, I'm forgiven. I have the grace of God. It was gone. If you look um, just across the page in Galatians 4, uh, 9, and 10, it, it, it says you've returned to be a beggar. You're weak. Verse 10 says you observe days and months and seasons and years, meaning they were being told that, no, in addition to believing in Jesus, you have to... Um, go to Jerusalem for this feast required by the law, required by the law, three times a year. You had to travel land and sea to go to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice of a lamb. They were required to do that three times a year, a special day of the week. They observed that. They also were being told they had to be circumcised. Line up, guys. Go to the back. You got to be circumcised if you're really going to be saved. They, I, that would lose, I would lose my joy, I got to tell you, if I would told that. And so their joy disappeared, and, and Paul discovers this, and he says, verse three, chapter 3, verse 1, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? What demon came and lied to you, saying that the cross is not enough? It says at the end, 
before whom Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Meaning, I told you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that bloody mess of the Son of God on the cross, that's full payment. You don't have to pay with anything else. You can't do anything else to add to that picture, that terrible, ugly picture of the Son of God um, basically um, bleeding to death and, and, and also gasping for breath, being crucified. Let me tell you, that's an ugly picture that paid everything. No, some people came in after Paul, and they'll do it with you, Calvary Chapel. They'll do it with you. You can't just believe in Jesus Christ. There's a church here in Boston that has on their statement of faith of what they believe. This is a so-called Christian church. It has on their statement of faith in addition to Jesus Christ being God and you have to accept him um, and believe that he was the son of God and died for your sin, it also has you have to accept that taking the vaccination, the COVID vaccination, is forbidden by Christians. That's right out of the, the Galatians. That's right. That, that's adding to, the, adding to the precious. And what does that do? What, what do you think that does to the joy to the joy of Christians. What do you think that does? Your joy exits. Why? Because you are believing a lie. Jesus Christ said the cross is it. Nothing else. You can't add to it. And so, oh, you foolish Galatians, he says in verse 1. And let's go to verse 10 now. It says, for as many as are the works of for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Now what does that mean? For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. What does that mean? Well, let's read a little bit more. Go down to verse 13. It says, Christ, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So here's what's going on here. Where it says in verse 10 here, but as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Then it says, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. What he is saying there, he's referring back to the Old Testament. Uh, he's referring back to the Old Testament um, where it says that this shocking statement um, in, in Deuteronomy 26, Deuteronomy is the fifth uh, chapter of the whole Bible, it says, cursed is the one who does not confirm, meaning live out all the works of the law. Now we know from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, what, what followed? God put them under a curse, a curse of judgment. Those cur a lot of those curses of judgment are detailed in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's actually quite terrifying reading, um, reading them in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Uh, I'm just reading Deuteronomy 28 here. It says this. Listen to this. 
But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord and observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, all these curses will come upon you. You shall be cursed in the city. You shall be cursed in, the, the, in your basket, in your kneading bowl, re referring to making bread. You shall be cursed. Uh, cursed shall be the fruit of your womb. Cursed shall be you when you come in. Cursed shall be when you come out. Wow, that's a heavy burden. The next page says this in verse, um, um, write this down if you're taking notes, verse 47 of, of Deuteronomy chapter 28. It says, listen, th here, this one's impossible. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for everything he gave you, you will be cursed. Who meets that standard? Name one person that you've ever known that has lived like that. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said this when he was asked what is the most, the first law, the most important law. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Name one person who has ever lived like that. And so what Paul is saying back in Galatians, what he is saying is in verse 10, as many as are the works of the law are under a curse, meaning every person who tries to be saved and to maintain a relationship with God, depending upon following the law, is under a curse because they fall so incredibly short of it. Who has followed all the law and followed with joy and gladness? No one. So Paul is saying, look at your own law. Look at the law in the Bible, Galatians. You guys fall miserably short. You have not followed the law with joy and gladness. You have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are under a curse according to God's Bible. That's why he's saying, oh, you foolish Galatians. Who bewitched you? What devil convinced you to depart from the truth that the, the cross, the, what happened on the cross paid for everything is what he is saying. And it says here, it says here um, in verse 11, it says, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. And that is evident by the verse, also from Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. Meaning, the man or woman who is right with God is living by faith. They're not they're not trying to be right with God by following the law because that's impossible. They are simply living day to day, breathing in, breathing out um, the grace of God. Can you imagine uh, me trying to make up for all the, all the, the sewer, sewerage water that comes into my mind? Good sermon last week, Steve. <laughs> Steve. That, that, when you counseled that woman, Steve, wow, you're, you're such a smart guy. Can you imagine me trying to work my way back into God's favor with all the stuff, the gunk that comes into my mind? 
I'd be groveling on the floor in the corner of my house. My wife would be like, what are you doing over there? I'm trying to work my way through the law back into the grace of God. It will never happen. The breath of the grace of God has become the breath of my life. And let me tell you, I, I, I'm only 20% of the way there. There's so much more that I'm looking forward to. Now, one of the real powerful things about verse, um, verse 12, by the way, repeats the same thing. It says, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. What he's saying there is the man who does them shall live by them. What he's saying is the man who tries to, to live by the law has got to live every single tiny bit of it or else he's under a curse. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians, do you realize what you have latched onto after I left you with the good news of the gospel? Um, the next verse says this, and this, to me, I think about this verse on a regular basis because it's so powerful. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus Christ became a curse for you. Now the original curse was of course in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell that a curse was put on them. But then there's many other curses. One of those curses by the way is in um, Exodus chapter 34 where it says this in verse 6 and 7 of Exodus 34. It says um, um, Moses asked God who he was. God responded, this is who I am. I'm the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. I can't, I can't read that enough. I gotta tell you, that verse, uh, write down that verse. Memorize this verse and memorize Exodus 34 um, for uh, scripture memorization. But anyway, I'm gonna say it again because it's just such a powerful verse. Who is the Lord? Moses said, who are you, God? He responds, I'm merciful and I'm gracious. I suffer long for you. I'm abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But listen to this. But by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the sin or the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Whoa, what's that about? What that means is that if a person does not come to God, to Jesus Christ, their sin will reappear in their child's life and in their grandchild's life and in their grandchildren, a great-grandchildren's life. Any of you have a father who was a drunk? Don't raise your hand. No, we, get, we have to honor our parents. I don't want you raising your hand. Any of you have, a, have um, a mother who was like a full-on alcoholic herself? Any of you have um, um, a father or mother who was addicted to porn or just sexually addicted, man to man to man to man, woman to woman to man? Any of you have a father or mother like that? Any of you have a father who is a workaholic and could, you grew up, you could, they could have cared less about you. They were just working night and day. They didn't care about you. 
Don't raise your hand. Did you, any of you have a mother like that? There's women all over Boston that are like that. But the, for the grace of God, so we go as our, ourselves. But did any of you have a mother or father like that? Well, let me tell you something. In, the Bible says that Jesus Christ became a curse for you, meaning that generational thing in Exodus 34, which says the sin, will, that sin which is a curse, sin is a curse, that goes to the, to the first, the second, the third, the fourth generation, is broken. You can no longer blame your sin on your daddy or your mommy. My daddy was an alcoholic, so am I. My mother was just, she went from bed to bed to bed to bed. So am I. I just can't help it. I grew up seeing it. No, no, no that's a lie. The promise of Galatians chapter 3, is it verse 14? Incredible promise is that, verse 13, is that Jesus Christ became a curse for you. He broke that cycle of sin. And let me tell you, that be good news. That's good news. We are free. You are free, Calvary Chapel. You are free, man. You are free, woman. From that sin, that addiction, that ugliness that you grew up seeing in your mother or father. It is broken. It is broken in Christ. Again, glorious, word, glorious verse. Someone memorize this one. Christ, verse 13 of Galatians 3, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might become upon the Gentiles. Meaning, when the curse is removed from you, it just doesn't mean the curse goes away and it's not replaced by something else. It's replaced by blessing, it says. Let's read that again. Uh, verse 14 says, the curse goes, verse 14 says, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What, it, what an incredible promise that you have. That cycle of sin that was in your parents and your grandparents, broken in Christ if you've received them as your Lord. In its place, it says the blessing, specifically the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit is what? Galatians 5.22, kindness, love, true, uh, kindness, love, faithfulness, self-control, joy, peace, Galatians 5.22. The curse is replaced with a blessing. The blessing is the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is what gives you life and joy um, every day as you make grace the breath, the very breath of your life. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. And if you've been asked to pray, please come up at this time. This issue of grace. So incredibly important. My son says the verse that I quote more than any other verse is Acts 2.42. And many of you have heard from me. The Christian life is real simple. Acts 2.42. The word, prayer, 
fellowship and communion. Now that last one's interesting, communion. Why communion? I mean, I get the word, I get fellowship, I get prayer. Why communion? Because communion, every time we take communion, we remember it's the blood of Jesus that purchased me access to God, and it's nothing else. It's just the blood of Jesus. It's nothing I can do. I can't be good enough to pray to God today. I can't be good enough to go to church today. Please don't think you have to be good enough to go to church. You'll never be good enough to go to church. You think I'm good enough to be in this pulpit? <laughs> it's the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that God is light and in him no, is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, if we bring our darkness to the light, the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. The reason we have communion is because we need that constant reminder that we're saved by grace. So once you stand, if you've been asked to pray, would you please come up at this time? If you've been asked to pray, please come up. And if, you're, so if your heart has been stirred in any way, if your heart has been stirred and you would like prayer, I say things like prayer being the very breath, I mean grace becoming the very breath of your life and you're confused and or you may know what that means but doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Or you just need the grace of God because the Lord has been bringing into your mind that, 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 that filth, that ugliness, that... Ah, that you need to just expose you. You need someone to put your, their hand on you and to help this brother, help this sister, just bring into the light this. If, if, whatever the case, if you would like prayer at this time, we're going to worship. Dan and Danielle, can you come up? Dave and Sarah, can you come up? Stephanie, can you come up? Eric, can you come up? Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we don't want a letter to come in our mailbox this week from you that says, Oh, you fool, Steve. Who's bewitched you? You're now trying to work for what God gave you free. Lord, we don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that for any man, any woman, any child in this room. Father, bring us to that place, Lord, where grace is the very breath that we breathe. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.